to season two of Shot by Both Sides. For this season, decided to dispense with the Desert Island Discs format because um, it was making shows very, very long. So this series, we're going to try and keep it to an hour, which is optimum commuting length. If uh, you're one of those people who's allowed to go outside, we're in lockdown number six in Melbourne. So can't really go anywhere for an hour. Um, Anyway, today we're talking with Paul Callan, who, for those of you who don't know, Paul um, has a very, very interesting uh, career. Started off in uh, advertising at Ogilvy, um, then went and did a load of different things, came back to advertising as a account person, Saatchi and Saatchi, then founded his own agency, and then go into some other different things which he well he talks about when he explains his career but we're mostly going to talk about his new book which is called connecting with clients there'll be a link in the description of the show where you can have a look at that anyway that's mostly what we uh, talk about so without further ado paul cowan <laughs> So, uh, Paul, welcome uh, to the, the, I call this the Shot by Both Sides podcast, which is named after one of my books. Um, this started off as a sort of promo thing for that, but not, but it's, it's got its own legs now. But we are here to talk about uh, your book, uh, principally. Um, but before that, um, you've got... Um, quite an interesting sort of career path trajectory or whatever um and you know obviously that's been influential in a lot in the way you've kind of framed a lot of the stuff in the book so i don't know if you want to just uh for the benefit of australia just introduce uh, yourself and how you got to where you are today yeah thanks ian um my abiding memory of school was largely an unhappy one uh, except for playing with mates and academically I was really poor um, and my uh, my head teacher said uh, Cowan he said uh, you're going to end up as a dustman uh-huh. and um, <laughs> that was when I flunked out of school with uh, one sort of basic qualification I think it was called a GCSE back then but it might have been an O level yeah. Um, and you know I, I kind of reacted against that um, and maybe that was the best intervention he could have made because it gave me um, a real a real drive uh, and um, you know I was curious about where I was going in the world and I found myself in my first job uh, weirdly tracing uh, missing debtors in in London and um, uh, uh, you know I was really very naive i found myself in this in this job um which um you know i I got by accident i looked outside a a job center and it said uh tracing services belgravia want a young keen enthusiastic employee or something Mm. and tracing back in the day and i am talking now back in the day because i'm uh uh, you know, there's a different generation back then. Tracing meant using uh, a particular technique involving a, a, a piece of blue paper between two other sheets to trace through an image. <laughs> My parents were artists, and I thought, well, well, maybe that's kind of artistic. But anyway, tracing services, I quickly discovered meant tracing missing debtors. And um, if it was uh, if it was Belgravia, that would have been big debts as well then wasn't it well uh, it was it was my early experience of branding or rather up branding um this was a a, i went to an interview in south kensington and uh i have no idea what was said but i i started i think the next monday and i arrived in this place and was quickly escorted around the corner to a very scuddy building um 
and upstairs uh, through a steel door and back in the day steel doors and that kind of thing were very unusual and there was deck collection room and deck collection room two and then telephone tracing one two three and four and that's where i that was my first job mm. tracing uh, people on the telephone um, and uh, i'm ashamed to say that it was largely done illegally by impersonating all kinds of people which before computers and social media was possible um, and i quickly discovered this was not right and a bloke behind me said oh you should try um advertising and and that led me into into uh uh going to see my dad who'd already suggested advertising and i rejected him on the basis that my dad didn't really know what he's talking about and i found myself in an advertising agency uh being interviewed and um I, I was easily impressionable, you know. I, I love the idea of all these fast cars outside and the pretty girls inside and the artwork on the walls. And again, I was interviewed, and uh, I ended up being a messenger in an advertising agency. That was that was uh, Sachi and Sachi. That, that was actually Ogilvy back in Ogilvy. the day. Oh, sorry. That was Ogilvy, and um, you know, I I bounced around from. Uh, uh, agency to agency not as a messenger but gradually sort of moving up the chain and uh taking uh detours vast uh, past being a mechanic um untrained um being fired i got fired quite a few times from different agencies i uh, went back to ogilvy uh, eventually uh, and i met my wife there mm. um uh, and i was fired again um and I found my spiritual home in what was then a very small but fast-growing agency, which was Saatchi and Saatchi. And I mm. intended to be there for 12 years, and a year rather. I ended up being there 12 years before so leading was, a breakaway. Was that was that when the, the brothers were still, before they got the boot? Was oh, that... yeah. This is, back, this is, you know, it was a, uh, I remember hearing about the audacious uh, idea that we'd be a top 10 agency in Europe. Mm. Um uh, and a top 10 agency in the UK and then a top 10 agency in the world. And it was, uh, it was really uh, early days, hmm. not the earliest days, but early days. And it was an exciting ride. In the end, they got two top 10 agencies. <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, uh, you know, and I, I ran my own uh, agency as a breakaway from Sarches. Uh, Sarches, I felt, had gone off the boil. Um, and I refer to the break in my psychological contract. Um, um, you know, all, all employees and employers have an unconscious agreement with each other. Yeah. And uh, the culture had changed, and I realised it was no longer the place for me. So to do, my own when, when the culture changed, was, it, was that just to do with size, do you think? you know there's a an idea that once somewhere gets over 150 people or whatever then um then culturally things do change well interestingly from an organizational perspective um uh groups of people uh go through real differences and there are real organizational changes that take place at different levels mm. you know you, uh, and often that's around 20 to 27 and then notionally between 40 and 50 and then 100 to 150 and then 300 and i think that is true that uh, there had to be a change however it wasn't thought about and it became a bureaucracy and the people who were the bureaucrats were or more bureaucratic by nature were allowed to um to run the business and um yeah it was it was it was a very different uh, suddenly became a very different place and uh, mm. lost its entrepreneurial and exciting um uh life force actually um and that's what led me to to to, to set my own place up so how how old were you when you when you set up on yeah your own agency how old were you then i think i was about 30 something yeah Oh, I can't remember, you know, time passes. This is a long time ago now. Yeah. Um, no, but it's it's but, funny because now the sort of entrepreneurial, you know, it's thought to be that, that that's kind of the realm of of, of kind of, you know, of, of youngsters. But, you know, it's funny. It's kind of mm -hmm. always been the case. You know? It's always it, it's always the sort of young ideas that, um, you know, 
come out and, and start their own thing. So it's not a, it's not a new phenomenon, is it? No, and I think you know you've got experience and you've got um, uh, you've got a few few miles under your belt, and you've also got a lot of energy still left. Mm. Um, and there is a sort of thrusting period in one's life, and and mm. for those who um, find it difficult to be managed by others, and I'm, I think many of my early managers would say I was a really difficult um, person to manage. Um, there can be a real temptation to 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 leave the business uh, to leave to leave and create your own business um you know it's just something within oneself uh, yeah. I, that was my experience uh, i was i thought i was at home in this place and had planned to stay at sarches you know i, I bought a, uh, an apartment just around the corner my walk to work was notionally four minutes you know it was very handy i didn't like traveling um um but suddenly it all changed i used to i used to work on um newman street uh but i think because uh, sachi and sachi's was on it wasn't on charlotte street was it it was there was a road just yeah no it was eight, eight, 80 to 84 charlotte street was, was the uh, uh, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. Uh, it's um, emblazoned in my mind even though yeah. the building's been you know knocked down because yeah. when i was i was working in a direct marketing agency on there at the top end of Newman Street, I think, and we used to. Mm. There was a pub across the road. I can't remember what it's called, but all the, um, you know, we were the sort of uh, direct marketing kind of country bumpkins compared to the, uh, to the stylish Sachi and Sachi proper advertising people. You see, that was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think your pub was the Newman Arms, and I think. Oh no, was it the Newman Arms? It could have been. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Yeah. And ours was the Fitzroy Tavern, I think. Oh, anyway, okay. Those were, yeah. <laughs> Um, but you asked about my, my career and of course, you know, I did, I merged my agency, um, um, after, well, I, th I think it was, it was an interesting time. It was back in 1990, um, that we set up and it was just at the beginning of a recession and there was a large breakaway. There were, um, I think uh, eight of us at the time, which was a big breakaway. And most of us went across on full salaries and back in the day, company cars and that kind of thing. It was a big breakaway. And, and we were funded on a, a, a bank loan secured by Iron Homes. Uh, first year we broke even. The second year we had massive bad debts from bl two blue chip companies. And um, that forced a major rethink. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. Uh, in terms of learning about organizations learning about people and learning about myself and, and we survived um you know uh the um our advisors um uh, at the time said well if there was a, a gold at dnad for financial restructuring and management you'd probably get it um <laughs> uh, and we survived um but we ch I changed the business um, uh, fundamentally and the way we operated, and um, you know it was a it was a we turned it from being a small, growing copy of Sarches into a bit of a radical, uh, freewheeling um, place, um, mm. and that was the most fun I'd ever had and the least money I'd ever made for about five years and. Uh, and then, and then I, I, I really wanted to get some more money. So we merged with another agency. And I, that's when I became interested in psychology. And, and that's what eventually led to the book, actually. Okay. Well, that was, the, so that's the thing, because then, and this is the interesting part, because then, then you made a bit of a radical sort of a departure, I guess, you know, following your interest. I remember, um, just to sort of set this up, I remember when I was at BBDO here in Melbourne, there was a guy, um, there was a guy called Paul McMillan. I think he's CEO or something now, but he was head of client services at BBDO in, in Melbourne. And uh, I, uh, one evening, he was giving a little talk to the junior suits, you know? And uh, there was a thing that stuck in my head that he said, he said, uh, you know, he said, a big part of your job uh, you know, as a as a suit client service is being a psychiatrist to your client. 
And they were all looking at each other going, what, what's he talking about? But I kind of understood it, you know, because, uh, and, and you know, and he went on to say, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, you've got to understand, you know, what, what are their problems that they're dealing with, you know, outside of just, you know, approving your ads or, or whatever, you know, and that was being a really good client services person uh, was like that. And, it, you know, and it's funny because then, you know, when I was reading your book and then, you know, because you're about to tell us now about that kind of left turn that your career took, but I mean, you took that sort of uh, literally, uh, <laughs> uh, although you never heard Paul McMillan's presentation and, you, and it predates his, but, um, but how yeah, did you know how, I think how, how did you sort of how did that come about because that's just uh, well first of all you need to tell us what it was and then the... well yeah so um <clears throat> uh, on the first day of the merged company having bought these two businesses together I walked into the building and somehow I knew it was wrong and uh, uh within a matter of days it became crystal clear clear that when they talked about um, creative thinking, when they talked about innovation, I say they, that's the, the agency with whom we merged, yeah. and in particular their leaders. Um, and when we use those same words, uh, and many others, we had two fundamentally different meanings. Mm. And that was fascinating to me. You know, it, it sort of reminded me of clients briefing agencies to do something you know, wild, wonderful, and new, uh, and agencies do that, and clients throw their hands up in horror when when the, when the agency mm -hmm. comes with its recommendations. It was resonant of that, mm -hmm. and then I was really intrigued <clears throat> by you know some some of our teams going through hell for one account, but literally not bothering to get off its bar stools, uh, its collective bar stools for another. You know, they just wouldn't wouldn't. Mm. wouldn't bother you know and i was really interested in the difference in in relationships between these different groups of people uh, and i got fascinated by you know what makes people do the things they do i remember um you know really being conscious after one meeting of how weird it was that whole groups of high functioning people um you know, and we'd had a meeting with um, some quite nice clients on, on, a, on a Monday morning. But how was it that, um, you know, somehow this didn't work out? And, and mm. I was curious, you know, how is it that whole groups of high functioning individuals? And I mean by that people that can hold down a job and hold down a relationship. How is it they can collude unconsciously on a Monday morning to make the worst of each other? <laughs> you know, what was that about? <laughs> and all of those interwoven streams really... Um, maybe become fantastically curious about how people work together and the psychology of teams, individuals, and organizations. Mm. And that became more fascinating, more interesting than ads uh, mm. and communication uh, in this broadest sense that agencies were, uh, were involved with at the time. And that's what led to a career change. And I became so interested by that that I left the business um, and I went to university uh, to study a master's degree in organizational change that's the psychology of individual mm. team and collective change at the University of Surrey and it was it wasn't uh, just a theoretical course this was a practical course mm. I mean it was a master's degree for over, over two years um, <clears throat> and that really opened my mind <clears throat> and I, I became even more interested in individual change and then I uh, I went to study uh, for another master's degree this time in gestalt therapy mm. <clears throat> and concurrently I became both a change agent working for organizations that previously I'd had to prostrate myself to get into and now these boards of directors in advertising alley in Slough and other places where advertise big age a big uh, clients tend to gather uh, were inviting me in uh, rather than me having to force my way mm -hmm. in and concurrently i was also then uh, became a couples therapist um mm -hmm. and you know the, I, I was interestingly sort of straddling two worlds the, the, mm -hmm. the world of psychology and the world of clients and agencies mm -hmm. so uh, i mean in, at the beginning of your of your book you know one of the 
you know, I mean, there's so many, there's so many little nuggets in there. So, you know, we, we could be here for a, for a week, you know, and just sort of go through them all. <clears throat> but, but there's, you know, one thing that you say is, uh, and I guess this is sort of advice, you know, for agency people, but uh, thinking differently often requires looking outside of your business. You know, I'd probably even build on that and say it means probably always uh, be looking out, outside your business. But you, um, you know, it, it, it seems like by looking outside of your business, that, that helped you come back into the business with something different uh, to yeah, say. yeah, yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true, and it's sort of resonant of that um, um, that talk you referred to in in uh, Colenso. Um, hmm. You know, think like a psychiatrist. That's an invitation yeah. to the account team to not think like advertising people. Hmm. And I think, yeah, anybody. If you want to learn something new about what you're doing, you know, step out of it. It's a bit like, you know the only fish that can understand the water they swim in are flying fish because at least they get out of it for a couple of seconds yeah. you know it's it's that kind of thing and then you've got a real insight about well what's going on in the world yeah. if you're in the world in that you're swimming in it it's no longer possible to to kind of reflect on it and to learn something new yeah. and i think that is so so important to you know there are so many examples that um, i just put a couple in the book you know the uh, the uh, low-cost airline turnaround time so turnarounds are so expensive uh, for airlines you know and and studying formula one teams is how the low-cost airlines actually um, when i say studying formula one teams i mean they're refueling yeah. and pit stops um uh, allowed them to think differently um yeah. you know uh, the innovators who first um uh, were cracked the notion of how to sew up arteries um so important in heart transplants and many other organ transplants well they looked at lace making skills that were first developed in france you know um yeah. how, that's how to sew up very delicate matter yeah. you know fantastic i mean so real breakthroughs come about i think from um uh looking outside yeah there's a thing i used to say i used to quote i always thought it was bill drummond said this but i think he nicked it from somewhere else but it was the idea of like the technology comes first and then creative people get a hold of it and and do things with it that it's not really supposed to do and that's where innovation comes from you know one an example bill drummond is i think is the was the uh the radio for instance which was the original idea for radio was so that church sermons could be broadcast mm. to into the homes of uh, uh you know people who couldn't for one for whatever reason couldn't physically get in into the church you know and that's how, that's how radio works you know so it's a similar sort of thing with the examples you give like the formula one so it's it's kind of you know you can steal from uh, a completely different category or activity um uh, and bring that into and bring that into your into your business yeah absolutely absolutely and, that, and i guess that's what what um leaving the world of agencies and stepping mm. outside allowed me to do to look back um and step back in a different yeah. person i say step back in yeah. step back in in a, in a different way but uh, um, tell me what you think of this i remember uh, a few years ago, because, you know, a bit similar to you, um, probably maybe 10, 12 years ago, um, I, I just got interested in other things and, and thought, how can I bring that into the work that I'm doing? So I was interested in psychology as well. I got I got really interested in evolutionary psychology, you see, so think about ultimate motives, uh, fundamental motives and things mm. like that and uh, anyway I was uh, uh, something had happened I think I was in between jobs and I met this recruiter um, who was trying to set me up with something and of course I was enthusing about all this stuff that I'd learned from studying evolutionary psychology and, it, and he said to me he said Ian he said you realized you're you're upskilling yourself out of this industry because uh, 
<laughs> because nobody nobody really wants to know about that. You know, it might be true and it might be interesting. But, uh, you know, of course, I didn't listen to that advice and I kept doing what I wanted to do anyway. But I wonder, coming back in, um, you know, so obviously you had that you had that break, and then and you did you know the the as the you know the couples therapist and all that, and then get invited back in. Uh, to, but it sounds like there was no there wasn't really any pushback with you coming in with new new sort of knowledge. Um, well, you know, I um, um twenty no sixteen years ago, I guess. Um, so after I'd done my degrees, um, I was working as a, I, I was invited, I'll tell you what happened. Um, uh, friends of mine running uh, advertising agencies now, you know, uh, they were mm. CEOs, um, and, you know, occasionally they would call up and say, Paul, you do that tree huggy shit, don't you? Um, can you help <laughs> us with a, with, <laughs> with a client? You know, we've got six months to run on this contract. It's an absolute nightmare. Is there anything you can do? And um, so filling in between um, working both with couples and as an organizational change agent, um, you know, helping dysfunctional teams work or MPD teams become more effective or, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, I'd go in and do a turnaround between a client and an agency. Uh, and uh, I would do that tree huggy shit, as they put it, with them and... Um, they kind of welcome me in and one of the things that really struck me was that um uh and i refer to this in the book that there are always two problems in a relation in a business relationship um and often in any any relationship there's problem a which you know if you're thinking about this is you know the top of focus it's where we spend 99 percent of our our time and energy and, and attention and that's the problem at hand and for me, that, by the way, graphically, I always sit at the top of the page, mm. you know, um, in couples that can often be, you know, how do we organize the finances or, you know, do the daily chores or with um, agencies, it's, you know, how do we, uh, what's the strategy and have we refined it enough? Is there a clear enough brief? Is there a uh, budget sign off and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm. All, all of whatever it is that we're supposed to do. <clears throat> but below all of that, there's problem B. And problem B is how are we getting on together? Mm. What's the relationship like? Because the client's experience of any agency delivery is always mediated by problem B. How are we getting on together? Yeah. Now, uh, if we're getting along well together, then as a client, I might uh, be way more supportive of you as uh, um, an, an agency and be way more forgiving when things go wrong. Yeah. But if we're not getting along, well together or if i don't quite trust you or think you're a bit of a bullshitter or whatever yeah. then when things go wrong i'm going to really rip into you yeah. um and when things go right uh, it's going to be just okay whereas if i'm if i'm really an advocate and you do things right i'm going to be delighted so i realized that um all the client satisfaction surveys that we'd ever used were um based on problem uh a problem a and so uh, with a business partner, I set up a business which now works globally um, called the Client Relationship Consultancy. Uh, um, and, uh, and yes, for those of you listening in uh, Australia, we've got a great guy called James Ledger and uh, uh, based in Sydney. Um, and that went really, really well um, because it just touched the nerve and every, everybody knows, yeah. well, you know, um, Every agency gets hired for its its recommendations and fired for its relationship, um, but that was the kind of insight that the uh, from, from that work, and it, it was really interesting. And it, it and I got there because, of course, it's you know, a lot of the issues are the same issues that couples face. All the teams that I've been working with um, as a change agent were struggling with the processes were fine, the outcomes were the outcomes, but it's actually the relationship that was getting in the way. Yeah. Now, one, I mean, you know, it's interesting because quite often um, client and agency relationships don't happen by choice, you know, so something happens where, you know, uh, and 
I remember when I was in a uh, when I was in agencies. You know, the thing you would dread was the sort of marketing director revolving door, because you knew that the new one coming in uh, was probably going to want to bring uh, their own people in, or you know, mm. people they work with. And I used to hate that, of course, until I became a client, and then guess what? <laughs> I did exactly the same behaviour. You know, because I, I've. Uh, I've, you know, uh, said goodbye to, um, you know, people mm. there and then brought in people that I, you know, but it comes down to, I mean, this is one of the things you talk about, but it comes down to trust and, uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, the ability to, um, you know, you want, you want an uh, agency working for you that are going to, they're going to listen and, and hear what you're actually, actually saying. You know? but, yeah, um, absolutely. But with, you know, I guess <clears throat> and it, it's such a big problem because it, uh, uh, it can lead to discontinuity. Or, is that a word? I don't know. In work. I remember I was looking at um, one, one of the um, sort of brand kind of case studies that I always use to demonstrate certain aspects is spec savers, you know. And there's, uh, mm. there's, there's a great case study on work that somebody wrote uh, and it shows you the Specsavers brand trajectory over 30 years, you know, and there was like a little blip in about 2006 where it um, went off the rails. And that was because a new marketing director had come in, changed all the campaign and everything. And of course, they'd spent so long building up, should have gone to Specsavers. Sales began to tank and then they got the boot. Another one came in, reinstated the campaign and there, uh, and there, and there it went. But there's always those kind of sort of... Uh, uh, those dynamics that it must be difficult to mediate between that when you've got competing sort of, uh, you know, when you've got those, uh, you know, where there's people have been forced into relationships. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you raised a really good point and it, I do cover it in the book. You know, when we're um, forced, you know, if we're, if we're put ourselves in a client shoes you, and, and you have been, or you are, hmm. um, you know, you, you find an imposed agency. Well, the first thing is um, clients um, don't uh, come along with a blank sheet of paper about an agency or their agency roster in their head. They will have some small, however small, shades of grey on that, that piece of paper. Yeah. Um, and um, inevitably there'll be some kind of history, whether it's read about in... Uh, B&T or Mumbarella or wherever they're going to—they're going to have some impression of the agency by and large. Yeah. Uh, and uh, even if they don't, walking the corridors on the first day, they're going to be picking up all kinds of um, uh, emotional and cognitive responses from others in their team. Impressions of the agency, good or bad. Mm. Um, and those are going to be highly influential on any new decision maker. Mm. If the decision maker has had an agency forced on him from, say, a global realignment, then a further factor is um, unintentional change. That uh, you know, um, and intentional change we seek is great. Unintentional change makes us feel often quite mm. rebellious and resentful. And for clients in particular. Um, a global realignment can make a local CMO feel powerless mm -hmm. uh, as against the normal day-to-day -day when a CMO will feel quite powerful. And that power, sudden change from powerful to powerful, powerlessness, if that's a word, um, brings up, uh, um, I can't bring up a kind of anger response. And the problem is I can't, if I'm the CMO, I can't, be angry about my own organization because that's the one i work for mm. but i can actually uh, point the finger unconsciously at the new agency mm. so that there is definitely a very uh unclean piece of paper it's not white mm. at all it's definitely shades of gray mm -hmm. so if, if you're an agency that uh is facing a new cmo uh either because of realignment or because they've just arrived um you've got a very small window in which to uh, build rapport with that new client. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, 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 it's unbelievably small. So 
fast uh, um, response, fast acknowledgement of, of somebody's arrival or um, a change. And rather than necessarily going and doing the creds, starting off by listening rather mm -hmm. than talking is a very good way of beginning to manage the relationship, build the relationship, and also manage expectations as required. Mm -hmm. So it's counterintuitive. Don't go in and talk, uh, be prepared to talk about it, you know, what you've done in the past and why. Mm -hmm. um, but um, building rapport right at the beginning um, and being clean and transparent and honest. Um, yeah, and, and if you can, setting out an agenda so that at least you've got three or six months to to uh, build on yeah. or build the relationship. So a couple of things that you that you mentioned in the book, you know, which is kind of, you know, when I read these, I kind of thought, it's, you know, I guess you always know that uh, when something seems obvious, but I think I never ever did that. Uh, <laughs> but, but I should have, you know, but it's about, you know, getting on the front foot, for instance, with, uh, with reviews, you know, so you suggest mm. that, that the agency should propose reviews every three months, you know, for instance, instead of every year or every or whenever the, the, the contract is about to is about to end, you know, so it's, you know, that's, uh, um, and then, the, and then, you know, the other thing that you talk about is about getting on the phone you know, every mm. day. So, I mean, that, you know, those sound like really sound things to say, you know, particularly if there's a situation of change. So a new person comes in, you, you know, uh, so a new, whoever it is, brand manager or marketing director that you're dealing with, then the, the first thing, you know, you got to do is like, is, is get on the phone and then, mm. uh, and start being proactive with, with those kind of things. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. If you're my client, um, uh, Ian, um, you know, what do I want to do? I want to really get really close to your world. And the best mm. thing I can do is somehow uh, put myself on your agenda, even if it's a five minute call. And there are some very good uh, leaders in ANZ who will call their clients every day or every couple mm. of days or have a weekly call. Um, but I want to be, I want to have time with you to know what's going on in your organization and to bring you any news and ideas. And I want to be able to do that on a regular basis. I want you to get into a routine where we can have an informal call and talk about issues and you will get some benefit from that. And so will I. It will help us to keep closer to your business, to respond more quickly uh, to, um, and, and actually to probably save cost as well in the longer term in terms of wasted man hours and motivation yeah. and work yeah. um uh and for you to get something out of that by way of a, a sounding board or uh, an extra piece of inspiration or, or, or whatever yeah. um and and that that is so important because psychologically it signals to you i care yeah i care and that means that, that everybody else in the organization my my agency is going to care too because I'm going to be on them to deliver whatever we've talked about. Mm -hmm. So signaling care in any relationship, just like a couple relationship, is fundamentally important to the relational health. Yeah. Uh, and phone calls, coffees, you know, if I'm in town, I want to have a coffee with you. Or, you know, if you're in the office and I will want to get a routine with you so that we can always catch up for a quick coffee. Yeah. It doesn't have to be lunch, dinner or anything uh, or a beer. No. Those are all bonuses, but I want that time with you. And I want that, that regular stepping stone um, that we build our relationship. And that means that when there are problems, you can express them to me and we can minimize them, get rid of them really quickly. I'm not going to walk away from them. I'm going to walk straight into them, yeah. pick them up with you. And then we've got a clean relationship. Yeah. And then with the reviews, I, um, you know, some of the particularly large, larger accounts um, having, uh, you know, a more formal, um, more formal, I don't, I don't mean a, a, um, necessarily the most formal button down kind of uh, review, but a really well thought through where are we? What's going on? What are the influences in the marketplace? You know, a thought through well executed um, summary of issues that we can exchange every mm. three or four months. Mm. Uh, will help us all stay together on track uh, so that 
there's an opportunity to be flying fish and look down at the relationship and look down at what we're doing together mm. and make any course corrections way better than waiting for a year uh, and finding we're absolutely wasted a lot of time and effort and the client really doesn't like us mm. um client's going to get better work we're going to get much more effective out of it and, and boy not only does it signal care but it also sig signals the proximity of our relationship to both teams exactly and that's yeah. important and that because one of the other things you talk about in the book you know so this is one of these sort of cliches that is always said which is uh you know from the agency point of view and i've done it myself you know which is like yes we want to be partners in your business um but you know what does what does that actually mean because if all if all you know if all the agency is trying to do is to sell a particular service or whatever i worked in media agencies you know where um it was um the 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 solutions well hopefully i'm not going to get sued for this from any previous employers but <laughs> you know it was kind of things that made the most margin for the agency that somehow miraculously seemed to be the solution to the client's problems you know that's not being a partner in the business that's being a, a vendor uh you know selling of products you know and i used to say that i said what what are we you know are we a product agency or are we a service agency in mm -hmm. my in my world we're selling a service which is uh which is helping you know solve the communications part of a client's marketing problem not not uh selling a product but that you know that's a shift that has happened i think over the last sort of 10 years particularly on the on the media side and it's and it's led to um you know that's why they're not sort of trusted you know and it's very hard to to sell that idea of being a partner because uh because there's competing agendas you know so it's like what you just said there it's a, it you know uh to to become a partner in someone's uh business is is more about listening to what what their actual problems are you know rather than um, yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. And, and you know partnership i think is often a shorthand uh, that communicates that agencies are feeling uh, anxious mm -hmm. you know these days i think if i was back in the business i'd want to become a trusted advisor or you know, mm -hmm. uh, one of the consultants is that the uh, the client uses uh, and relies on for um strategic advice or or whatever the, the you know yeah. important conversations yeah. um you know, partnership is, it's, it's more like agencies are, you know, saying, oh, I want to be a partner because there's an anxiety that we might get thrown out. And if we're a partner, well, surely that means there's something more substantial here. Yeah. The, the truth is, uh, as one client said to me, you know, um, without us, there is no payday for the agencies uh, that we work with hmm. um, or the staff of the agencies. And that is true. So there is a different power dynamic between clients and agencies that, um, means that partnership you know are we really partners mm. we can be we can share and cooperate together effectively i i, mm. I prefer to think about it as um rather than partnership you know i i would say um a close um it's consultative, like, a, yeah, it's like uh, a symbiotic relationship there's an understanding that, yeah that um you know if we both do what's right for each other then everyone wins kind of thing yeah, you know, it's, as, as you talk, it sort of makes me think of, you know, having an interdependent relationship, which yeah. are often what couples, good couple, you know, I say good, mm. no, I mean, couples that are, have solid relationships, these are interdependent, we're both individuals, we both have our own passions, enthusiasms, just as the clients and agencies have their own objectives and um, ways of being and way, expertise. Mm. Um, uh, and we are not dependent um uh on each other but we are in a mutually rewarding um engagement together of mm. interdependence where we both bring our skills uh to, to bear on on the challenges and those challenges mm. might pass it might be you know we can't we can't think that everything is always going to last um mm. but um, anyway yeah mm. interdependence rather than partnership yeah, yeah. so one, one of the things that i'm gonna um 
I'm going to sort of photocopy this page uh, out of the book and uh, um, and, and give it to uh, to all the agencies, you know, that are helping me. But it's the it's the idea of uh, brilliant basics, mm. and uh, and so you've got a little sort of uh, checklist there. But I, I just you know this was uh, there's a thing. Uh, uh, Rory Sutherland uh, used to say, which I would like to, and he said, one of the ways to su succeed, you know, in any business, any category, is just be a little bit less shit than the competition. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and uh, but the idea of brilliant basics, you know, that that's that. It's not, you know, it's kind of just just do, uh, you know, the, I'll let you outline uh, some of these things. In a minute. Yeah, remember... brilliant basics, I, th I think, are really so so important in you know if we're going to you're going to have any kind of faith or confidence in me as your agency yeah. or your agency person you know brilliant basics delivery on time accurate work mm. right? expectation managers at every stage and everything highlighted in advance and by the way that is the most important for me mm. expectations managed and then everything delivered as promised and communication that's clear and open you know, and it's either yes or no. There aren't any grey areas. You either mm. do it, or you don't do it. Mm. Uh, and by the way, uh, I love the idea of you giving that page to all, yeah. all your your agencies. I'd much rather you give them a copy of the book each. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm delighted with giving them a page. I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I if I like them, uh, you know, if I if they, if I give them a page and they do that, <laughs> then I'll give them a book after that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, if they respond, you can give them a yeah. book. Yeah, there was um, there was a, a, a girl I used to work with when I was at Dentsu, yeah, I think, and she she had gone the other way. She'd been like a, a, a brand director or something at Mars, right? <clears throat> and then and then she'd gone over to agency side. But she used to tell me. She said when when she was a client, and uh, the agency would come in. She said, everyone on the brand team, the client team, were all sitting there and they were all thinking one thing and they were just sitting there saying, please do not F this up, you know, <laughs> because, <laughs> because, it, because it just created more work and more pain for them. They just wanted the agency to come in and like do, you know, like you say, do the, do the brilliant basics, just have a good idea have a good idea of how it's going to be executed and, and a plan for how it's going to happen. And that's all they wanted, you know, that's all they wanted. <laughs> but but so often it, it would never happen, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I'd, um, um, a couple of things I just wanted just to, uh, just to, to catch before we end, because, um, because your little, uh, the, um, the little chapter on uh, the role for HR, um, I sort of laughed out loud, uh, really uh, reading that because you know everything that you recommend that HR departments should never do is pretty much everything that they do do. Um, <laughs> but um, I, you know, I know what before one one and it went. Uh, and hit record you know you said you can't remember everything you've written i think you might remember that one because I, I can almost like feel the sort of relish of which that was written uh, <laughs> the words but um well, yeah i i think for any anybody listening to to this um i found that when i was writing the book and it, it took me uh three attempts to to write it uh so that it could be an easy read you know if you're sitting on a plane mm. or train or somewhere um but, well that's know, the thing I, I mean i should just say for the benefit of listeners you know the the great thing about the book uh which I which is called connecting with clients by the way i don't really mention that uh but i'll put a link uh to amazon oh yeah it's on booktopia as well so on booktopia, you know, in Australia. yeah and um yeah, yeah and other but, local stores yeah. yeah anywhere books are sold online, <laughs> yeah. but but one of the great i mean it's a fantastic book, but it's um, it's kind of what I would call dip in and outable, because there's about forty little chapters or something. I don't know how many exactly it is, but there's lot, lots of them. But each of them, it's the kind of it's one of these books that you could kind of you should kind of have, especially if you're if you're man if you're in an agency and managing clients. Definitely, you should have it in your kind of drawer. 
for easy access whenever the phone rings or whenever the email drops and, and it's kind of like how should I respond to this particular thing and the answer will be in there because they're all like little sort of very sort of neat little chapters I love I love the writing style it's interesting because in the foreword or the or the beginning of the book I think you you'd say that it was uh, uh, Dave Trott kind of uh, nudged you into into writing the book and I can detect there's an almost like trot style um, of, uh, you know, how he kind of, I think he's a little bit more minimal uh, than you, but, it, but it's very sort of punchy the, the way the way it's written. Um, so there's not great long paragraphs when a short thing will do. Um, so I don't know if that was any of the Dave Trot influence uh, or, that, or is that how well, I, I love the idea of being put in the same category as, as yeah. Dave Trot. I once did a role reversal call. Uh, uh, I did a role reversal with a creative director, a bloke called Jerry Moira, um, yeah. and uh, he was in New York for six weeks. And I tried to take, you know, I sat in his desk. I was actually looking after his house as well. Uh, <laughs> I think I even borrowed one of his shirts one morning, and I literally could not back in the day write a thing. Um, and it, I did have to find my voice. Um, yeah. Uh, and I do like something that's simple. Um, yeah. And Dave, actually, Dave introduced me to the publisher rather than suggesting the book. The book, the book was suggested by uh, uh, an agency CEO. I just taught him to meditate uh, to help his levels of stress, and he said you should write this down. So yeah. you know, well, thanks Robert for that. He's now <laughs> in USA having a very good time and working well in a media agency right now. <laughs> okay, oh, he's, yeah, making the margin. Yeah. Anyway, just the uh, um, I went HR. Off. Yeah. 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 Back to HR because that was uh, I was laughing so much when I when I. Uh. Um. <laughs> well, you, 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 yes, it's, it's interesting HR. I think we need to be gentle on the HR people. They come into the into the um, into uh, agencies to do a, you know a good job. They're driven as you know very nice people, very caring people. But actually, in a people business, um, the most important thing that any of us can do is to really be closely, um, and I mean intimately involved, in the recruitment and management of our teams, mm. to put anybody in between us. Um, however, uh, well-meaning is inevitably going to subtly change and dilute the ideas and the beliefs that we have and you know it doesn't matter how good the HR people are that is just what happens they everybody tends to recruit in a different way and to mm -hmm. manage in a different way and um, I put this in a rather more entertaining way in the book but um, if, if we delegate that responsibility, inevitably, what's in our mind as a gold standard or doing this very well or finding the right person, we lose it completely. It's a bit like driving with, with you know, big boxing gloves on. It's just not possible to be that mm -hmm. sensitive on the road. We're going to get there somewhere approximately there, but that's not good enough. And um, so for me, HR people are really good at knowing, you know, what are the HR laws and the you know, getting the contract sorted out. But actually, are they the face of the agency? Uh, really? Are they? I doubt it. I don't care mm. how good they are. They're not, they're not really the face of the agency. Mm. And for me, meeting a candidate and being the face of the agency, I can calibrate. How does this person responding in that moment? Mm. And, and are they really going to be a fit? That doesn't mean to say I'm right or wrong. Mm. And, and in our HR process, our recruitment process, you know, there are definitely uh, a number of people that, that meet with any candidate and everyone has a different point, mm -hmm. you know, perspective on the interview and what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. But leaving it to an HR person is to operate with a filter uh, that right at the wrong end. Um, and it just, it, yeah, it's terrible, mm -hmm. absolutely terrible. Especially um, with, um, I always think with, and I kind of, I'd, you know, it's one of these things where I have to sort of check myself because with, especially with creative people, sometimes you have to, you know, you will accept personality traits or whatever that are kind of, 
you know, or people that are going to be a, a problem, but you cut them a bit of slack because you think it's actually worth it. You know, it's worth the pain in the ass for the output. And you have to balance that amongst, uh, you know, amongst the, the rest of the rest of the team. And then you have to, you, you know, then you have to think, well, actually, I have to have people around them that are going to be able to deal with a certain amount of premium mm. uh, behavior because because we're prepared to put up with that because the you know because the output is so good you know yes and, and i think that, that there can be um that's much easier to do if you're in charge of it and the yeah. other thing is you might want but to I guess, find I guess the people point was, more disruptive yeah. you know <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> thing the hr department's not going to like right because they're yeah you know, absolutely because they don't know how to deal with that yeah yeah no, it's, it's really, yeah. Uh, HR people keep them out of the recruit, recruitment aspects yeah. of, the, of the business yeah. and and people management and and uh, and really tightly focus them and they'll they'll be really good in support of doing the things that most of us are really crap at doing, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you know contracts and you know in, yeah. in employment law and stuff. Yeah, cool. Well, listen, well. Paul, I, we're we're getting close to the hour now. Mm. I did, we did say before that we're not going to. Uh, this is my new experiment of of trying to sort of keep it punchy and tight. So I think I think we've done that. But um, just uh, I guess um, so. The book is out now. It's uh, the, the book's the book is out. Absolutely, it, it's available everywhere. Uh, I think there are some excerpts. Um, uh, all over the place, wherever advertising is written about, I think you, you've you've had something somewhere. So I definitely know because I saw I saw little bits in Umbrella and Ad News and in B and T here in Australia. I expect Campaign probably in the UK have run something, have they? If not, uh, weirdly, Campaign UK is my weakest um, uh, coverage. Uh, they've is done it? one uh, one interview. Um, right. um, but you will find um, stuff on my website, which is Paul Cowan, P-A-U-L-C-O-W-A-N.com, paulcowan.com. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff on there. Okay, brilliant. And so the book Connecting with Clients is out now. There will be a link. Um, I'll put the Amazon link and uh, uh, Booktopia, whatever, book depository. Mm. I'll put the links uh, in the thing. But um, I was I was going to say yeah I think you know this is probably the 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 highest recommendation I can give the book because whenever you know up until recently whenever I wanted to give something to young suits or planners about how to be better at what they did I would give them the um, art of client service the Paul Arden book hmm. from now on. I shall be giving them connecting with clients because I think it's been too long until there was something there was something new and better. But that but that's how good it is. So um yeah, so that that's the best recommendation I can give. It's the new, it's my new giver outer on those. I'm, I'm touched. Um <laughs> <laughs> to be mentioned in the same uh arena as Datra and uh uh Paul Arden, who I often thought of as almost like my dad, is um, okay. amazing. So thank you, Ian. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Right, well, thanks very much, Paul. I shall. Um, I'll let you get on with your your day. Um, it's Friday night, so I'm going to get on with my dinner. And uh, <laughs> um, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Ian. Really enjoyed it.